welcome to the Keep Running podcast with me, Rachel Stringer. And me, Amana Rai. If you're listening to us now, then you're probably a runner, thinking about becoming a runner, or you just want to hear some inspiring stories. Each week on our podcast, we will be sharing our own running experiences and chatting to some amazing and inspiring running people. And hopefully this all gives you an extra little bounce in your step for your next run. I don't think either of us can explain how thrilled we are to share with you our next guest. He really is a true legend in the sport of running and to us epitomises what the sport is about. Hard work, sacrifice, mental toughness, physical toughness and passion. This man has passion for running in abundance. He's run 50 marathons in 50 days in 50 states in America. He's run 350 miles straight with no sleep over three days. He's run on all seven continents, not once, but twice. He's run across the Sahara Desert and he's even run a marathon in the South Pole. The list really is endless and it definitely doesn't stop there. Our guest today is hailed as the ultra marathon man by many, the fittest man on the planet by men's fitness and Time magazine even had him down as one of the top 100 most influential people on the planet but he is even so much more than that he's a new york times best-selling author motivational speaker marathon and ultra marathon runner record breaker entrepreneur family man and an inspiration to so many dean carnassus is of course our guest today and is joining us all the way from san francisco Dean, thank you so much for joining us. Question firstly, are you running or standing up or both? What's going on over there? <laughs> That's a question I get a lot. Uh, but uh, you know, thank you for that very gracious introduction, by the way. I'm, I'm not worthy, but um, I, I appreciate it. I told you to embellish freely and you took me up on the offer. So that was a very nice introduction. I am standing and I am moving around, but I decided not to be running because uh, I wanted this to be a, a, an, a, an audible interview that anyone could hear. <laughs> Thank you, Dean. Although I'm ashamed to say now that I am sitting down. Um, so right, Dean, Rachel and I have been chatting and what we really want to know is what makes you different as to why you've achieved all that you have because the list really is incredible. Well, you know, when I, I look at my career, I think that it's, it's curiosity that drives me uh, more than anything else. So. Some people might look at my list of accomplishments and say, man, this guy's really competitive. Like he just cannot stand not losing. But the reality is that I just really love to test the limits of human endurance. I really love exploration and pushing my body in some of the most um, extreme conditions on earth. And it's just that curiosity, uh, the kind of, um, you know, child's eye, looking at the world through the child's eye that I think has kept me in the sport for so long and kept me so um, so engaged and passionate about it, you know, for a couple decades. Yeah, you mentioned that, you know, your passion, and we talk about that in our introduction as well, but surely, you know, passion can only take you so far. You know, is there anything that you've learned over the 25 plus years that you've now been running properly, I'm gonna say four, um, that has kept you focused, maybe a method that you use something kind of deeper than just uh 
what's physical or like you said, the child's eyes or passion? You know, I think that to me, again, it's, it's about curiosity. I think that if you have to try to motivate yourself to do something, uh, it's, you know, it's a fool's game. That is just meaning you're, you're burned out. So people say, you know, how do, how do you motivate to go running? Well, I don't need to motivate because it's what I want to do. <laughs> you know, if I had my choice of things to do, I'd want to go running. It, it's still that um, internal to my DNA as it has been since the day I first started running. And, how, you know, how does that stay fresh and relevant and, um, you know, so much uh, desirable for me? And I think it's because I rarely run the same route twice. Uh, you know, I'm changing up where I run constantly and I'm running in new areas. So even to me, um, exploration can be just running down a different city block. Uh, it can be finding a different trail and running on a different trail. Uh, not every day I, I run with a watch. Some days I just go running for the pure joy of running. I mean, to me, running is worthwhile in itself. You don't need a reason to run other than running. And if you can really um, see running through that lens, I think that you'll, uh, you know, you'll keep it up. I think what you mentioned there, like the adventure side and never running the same routes twice. I used to be a junior international athlete and I kind of had a bit of a lull back in the day. And for me, I read a book and it basically said, you know, take every day as an adventure. Do not go where the path may lead. Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. And that to me reignited my passion for running a bit like what you just said there always find adventure in what you do yeah i agree i think you know a lot of my friends um that i have trained with throughout the years have burned out on the sport and i think it's because they focus solely on competition and they kind you know they're they were amazing athletes don't get me wrong and i really define yourself you know as as someone that's just a racer and every time you go running you know it's got to have a, a purpose uh i think that that leads to burnout it, it's 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 too much to ask of someone um, versus just purely enjoying you know the act of running for the act of running. I guess Dean, you're out there running lots of new routes, being an adventurer, an ultra marathoner. But what might surpri surprise a lot of our listeners is that your favorite race is not actually an ultra marathon. It's a much shorter distance, isn't it? Something to do with a ten k. <laughs> you know all my secrets. <laughs> well. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I've raced and competed on all seven continents of Earth um, twice now. And, you know, you read some of the, the lists of the places I've been. You know, I've run across the Sahara Desert. I've run a marathon to the South Pole. You know, I've been on, uh, you know, raced across Australia. I could go on and on. But my favorite race was a 10K. And that's because I did it with my daughter, Alexandria, on her 10th birthday. And, you know, to me as a, as a father, nothing will ever surpass that. No, for sure. Like I read about it in one of your books. You've written many, as we mentioned, New York Times bestseller, best author. Um, but Dean, you know, do you have, I guess, a race or a challenge? Because I won't always say race that's had maybe the biggest impact on you as a person. It, maybe it's from traveling or maybe it's from what the race or challenge did to you personally. Yeah, I mean, you know, certainly running 50 marathons in all of the, the 50 U.S. states in 50 days was quite uh, an adventure. I mean, it was not only the, the running, but it was the, the travel. And I did take my family along with me. So it was, a, it was just a, a really great way to see America, um, you know, at, at six miles an hour, if you will, <laughs> yeah, on foot. So we really got to, you know, it was a really uh, a, a immersive experience. Uh, you know, I've also served as a U.S. athlete ambassador. 
So I've gone on these sports uh, diplomacy envoys to Central Asia. Uh, I ran across uh, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, and Kazakhstan, <laughs> of all places, on the, uh, on the ancient Silk Road, um, and had diplomatic um, responsibilities along the way. It was to celebrate 25 years of diplomatic relations between the U.S. and those three um, nations. So that was something um, quite unusual for an athlete. You know, I've uh, run across America, so I've run from Los Angeles to New York. And, you know, as I was passing um, Washington, D.C., which is our capital, uh, I got a call from the White House and they said, you know, there's someone that really wants to meet you. She's been following your adventure. And I thought, oh, that's, you know, maybe there's like a chef or someone, you know, at the White House that, uh, <laughs> that you know, that, that's a runner. And I said, well, what's this person's name? And they said, well, her name is Michelle. And I said, well, Michelle who? And they're like, well, it, her last name is Obama. Like, do you know who Michelle Obama is? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I've been running across the country, but I, you know, I know who the, the first lady is. This is when uh, Barack <laughs> Obama was president. So I literally ran into the White House, you know, ran down the hallway of the White House. And they said, she's waiting out on the South Lawn for you. So I ran out to the South Lawn of the White House I, in my running gear, literally, you know, 65 days after leaving Los Angeles. And they're waiting for me is Michelle Obama. And she gives me a big hug. <laughs> I mean, she's dressed in this immaculate outfit, you know, and I'm a grungy runner, all sweaty, because I'd already run about 20 miles that day. And here I am, you know, on the, on the south lawn of the White House with Michelle Obama. So I've had some incredible adventures and very unique adventures. It sounds like there's some definitely some pinch me moments in there. But I guess, has there ever been a time where you've been, been completely overwhelmed by what you've achieved? I mean, like you mentioned, you've met Michelle Obama, you've done TED Talks at Google, um, you've been on many US talk shows. Is there ever a moment, though, where you have been overwhelmed? You know, I, still, I, I think there's a certain detachment that it's almost like an altered ego. Like, it, it, I, you know, even when you read that introduction, you know, you're reading about me, but I really don't think it's me. I, you know, I think it's, this is just, this guy's just a runner. Like he's just a humble, you know, down to earth runner. And you're reading about these accomplishments, like, you know, um, being named by Time Magazine as one of the hundred most influential people in the world. I, I, I still have a hard time believing it, I guess. I mean, I, you know, I have this trophy room downstairs and I walk in there and I start looking at, you know, all of this stuff that I've, I've got. And it's almost like, holy, does, does, can one person accumulate all this stuff in a lifetime? I mean, it's just, it's, and, and I've got more boxes in my garage. It, I don't even know what to do with it all, but it does, it doesn't seem like me. So I, I guess I don't get overwhelmed because I, I always think it's, it's almost like someone else. <laughs> it can't possibly be me because I'm, I'm just a humble runner. Because you are so humble. And I think, you know, even in the intro, you said, oh gosh. Don't be silly, I'm not worthy of that introduction. Obviously you are. Um, do you think because of that, you know, maybe you don't reflect on it as much and that pushes you further because you don't really like rest on your laurels. Do you ever sit back and think, that is me? You know, do you take time to reflect? Is that when you're running? Do you kind of go back over your accomplishments or always just strive for what's next? I, you know, honestly, I don't, I don't know if I do either. I mean, I think, I think Socrates said, you know, the only thing I know with certainty is that I know nothing. I, I just, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of stuck in the moment, maybe living in the present. I mean, it's funny, even, you know, I went running on Sunday, which was Father's Day. 
um, with my son, Nicholas, which was great. We went on a, on a big trail run, you know, and people stopped me along, you know, people recognized me and they stopped me along the way and they say, wow, you know, you've had, you've had such an influence on my life. And oh, it's so great to meet you. And, you know, and can I get a selfie? And it's, it's almost surreal to me. Like, really? You, you follow me, like you admire me and you, you really want to picture me. <laughs> so I, I guess I still just, I, I can't, I guess I can't accept it. Cause I, I really, you know, I, maybe inside I know that I'm just a human with, you know, human flaws and, and, you know, I, I'm just like anyone else. So I don't know. I guess the good thing in it all is, um, you know, I am what I am. Like there's never going to be people that find out things about my backstory that are like, Oh, that's wow. I didn't know he was this or that, or, you know, Oh, geez, I don't like that quality about him. You know, I'm pretty much. Uh, what you see is what you get. So I, I don't think I'll ever disappoint anyone. You know, they'll never be let down by something I've done because I'm just kind of the guy that I am. I guess we're all human at the end of the day. But when you started your career as an ultra marathon runner, you didn't really sign up for what's come up now. But I guess what's the good and the bad about the success that you've had? Surely you've got a couple of funny stories. Well, I mean, I've I've met probably hundreds of thousands of incredible people from around the world and you know that it's been a blessing for me to um, be so uh, universally recognized and also universally connected it's funny you know r- running is something that unites people there, there's so many things in this world that that tear us apart right be it now especially in, in the US the color of our skin mm-hmm. or the God we worship you know the language we speak, but running is the great unifier. It cuts through all that. Um, when we run, you know, we're, we're one. Um, it's a commonality that all humans share. And, and that's a beautiful thing. And runners around the world have this kind of kindred spirit. I mean, it's, I could be in the UK. Uh, you know, I could be in um, uh, Haiti, which I've run across Haiti. Uh, you know, I, I could be in Asia. I could be anywhere. But runners are just universally connected and very positive people. So I've, I've witnessed that time and time again across the globe, how powerful running is. And it's such a simple act, right? It's just, geez, you're just putting one foot in front of the other at an accelerated pace. But it, it's a great unifier. And, and that to me has been a, a, an amazing and wonderful thing. You know, I guess the only downside is that I get a lot of, um, I don't know, I guess fan mail, you'd call it. I hate even calling that, but I get a lot of people sending me messages. And, you know, a lot of these messages, the first sentence is, you know, you, you changed my life. And, to, you know, to get a message like that to me is really, it's, it's, it's so powerful and it's so moving to me because I couldn't think of a higher, you know, a higher form of reward. You, you know, there's nothing, you can't buy someone saying that to you. It, it, to me, it's just deeply gratifying. But I also feel like, um, uh, you know, I, I owe it to that person to get back to them because a lot of people have questions. And so I spend <laughs> more time than you can imagine just answering questions. You know, now with social media, it's, it, you know, it's like drinking from a fire hose. But I really try to respond to people that reach out to me as best I can because I think I owe it to them. And, and that's, you know, that can be a little bit draining. Of course, of course. And social media does have an impact on that now. But talking about the letters that you receive, I've got one that I wanted to read to you. It read, I didn't sleep last night. Yesterday, someone gave me a copy of your book. 
Today, I quit my job and started running. I was CEO of that company. When you receive letters like that, what effect does that have on you? It's profound. I mean, it's... Uh, it, it, I, I, I don't know how to, you know, how to explain the, the, the effect. I mean, I feel, I feel proud in a way. <laughs> I feel guilty, like, oh, I hope this guy likes me at the end, you know, at the end of his life. But um, I feel deeply moved by it. You know, people say that I inspire them, but I have to be honest, I am equally inspired by others. I mean, I think inspiration is a two-way street. And some of, the, some of the stories I've heard by, you know, my quote-unquote fans have been so, so inspirational to me. So, you know, when I get a message like that, I feel a certain, I guess, a certain obligation as well to always um, uphold my standards, to always be my best so that I would never let this person down. And it's, it's, I guess in that way, it's, it's somewhat of a responsibility, but um, I guess mostly I feel deeply moved and, gra- and grateful. Yeah, for sure. It must be hard. It's kind of, you know, a great pressure, one of the greatest pressures. But um, I guess, you know, slightly keeping to the theme we're on right now, um, I would love for you to tell the story of the crazy lady, uh, the fan who stopped uh, her car at 2.15 a.m. on the highway um, outside San Fran and asked you to do something which you didn't expect that time in the morning. Do you remember that one? <laughs> I yeah, loved I it. Do. And I've told that many a time. And I'm like, this guy is this famous. It, well, I call it my, uh, when people say, what's the, the most interesting wildlife uh, experience you've had while running? I would say this is it. But um, for you listeners, I was out uh, on, a, on a late night run. Um, you know, obviously, I'm the all night runner. So, you know, when you train for an ultra marathon, one thing you have to do is uh, you know, run through the night without sleep because that's what you're doing when you're running an ultra marathon. So it was, you know, it was about two in the morning and I was out on a backcountry road out in the middle of nowhere, um, running. And I, uh, heard a car coming approaching me. And, um, when that happens, I usually just move over to the side of the road. Uh, and I did, but this car kept coming straight for me. And I thought, okay, this is, this is going to be a problem because at two in the morning, that's when the bars let out, you know, the nightclubs in this area. So people start using these backcountry routes to avoid um, getting pulled over because they've been drinking and they're driving. Uh, but this car does not alter their path. They keep coming right toward me. So I had a handheld torch um, that I was carrying. So I, I shined the torch in their windshield to alert them, you know, there's a guy out here running, but they still kept coming right for me. And I was going to jump off the side of the road, but when I turned to jump, it was just a solid embankment. There was just a mound of dirt there. So now I'm looking at this car barreling down on me thinking, you know, do I go right or left or which way do I move to avoid getting run over? And I just turned sideways and this car just went whoosh. And it whizzed by me so close that I could feel the heat of the radiator on my, on my thigh. I mean, it was that close. And, and then I got kind of mad, you know, I, I was first, I was just thankful to be alive. And then I thought, you know, that, that was not right. I mean, I'm out here all by myself running and, you know, I'm harmless and I'm helpless. They shouldn't have done that. And so I kind of, I gave them a fist, you know, I stuck my fist up in the air and, and they hit the brakes and I thought, uh oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. And then they put the car in reverse and I thought, oh no, this is not good. You know, there was no place to run, nowhere to hide. I, I thought, you're going to meet your destiny right here, you know, on this lonely roadside at two in the morning. 
Well, the car comes to a screeching halt right next to me. And, and this manic woman, she jumps out of the driver's um, seat and she runs around the front of the car and she pulls open the, the passenger side door and she starts ripping through this bag that's on the seat. And I'm standing there paralyzed in fear thinking, you know, is it a knife? Is it a gun? You know, what is she going to pull out of this bag? Well, she pulls out a copy of my book. <laughs> and she, she looks at the cover of the picture and she looks at me and she says, oh, my God, you're, you're him. You're that guy. You're the ultra marathon guy. Uh, my boyfriend just loves you. I, I just bought him a copy of your book. You got to sign it. And I'm looking at her like, oh, what? And she puts a pen in my hand and she's like, his name is Bob. Just just sign Bob's book. So I, I wanted to write, Bob, your your girlfriend's a psycho. But I, you know, I signed Bob's book and um and gave it back to her. And she just put it in the car and slammed the door and drove away. And and that was it. <laughs> that was my wildlife encounter. I love that story. And I hope Bob looks after his signed copy of the book. But uh Talking about cars, we've heard that you've turned down a few car deals because you don't actually drive anymore. You don't have a car because you run everywhere. But surely there have been times where you've wished you've had a car, where you are on the highway, running late, maybe you're running to a wedding or you didn't want to turn up late and sweaty to a christening. Surely there was a time. You know, it, it, I have to be honest, uh, the world has gotten easier with, um, with like Lyft and Uber. Because you're right, there were times where I would be late for a meeting and there weren't a lot of choices back then. I mean, I just had to run faster. But, but now, if I get myself <laughs> in a pickle, um, you know, I can order a, a Lyft or an Uber. Uh, but to your point, I mean, I haven't had a car in over 10 years. And, you know, I had a, I had a sponsorship arrangement with, with VW, with Volkswagen. But I felt so guilty because I was never driving their vehicle. I mean, <laughs> you know, they were sponsoring me as a, as a you know, a guy... Uh, there was a, you know, driving their car, but the car just sat in my garage. It was a beautiful car. Don't get me wrong. And it was, you know, it was really a nice, um, you know, a ni nice to drive when I did drive it, but I just rarely drove it. So I, I gave it back to them and said, we just have to end this sponsorship. My agent thought it was crazy. He's like, why are you doing this? It's, this is putting your kids through college. I mean, don't. And I said, I just, I don't feel good about it because I'm not using the vehicle. So I have different size backpacks now and I just, um, depending on where I'm going, I just use a different backpack. Uh, and that's how I get everywhere. I mean, you just said there your agent might think you're crazy about turning down a car. What does your agent think then when you come up with your different challenges? Like, for example, the 350 miler event, which I guess everybody maybe knows you for, uh, which you did back in 2005. I think it was quite a while ago now. Um, you know, when you come up with these amazing challenges, what does your, you know, your immediate family, your loved ones think? Is it like, oh, it's another Dean idea, like whatever? Or, you know, are, are people still perplexed when you come up with your latest challenge? <laughs> I, I, you know, I think my family, you know, my kids have always known me as this crazy runner. So I, I don't think they know any different. You know, when I, when I propose doing these things, they're like, okay, dad, that's fine. That sounds good. I, I really don't think they see anything um, unusual about it. Uh, you know, I, again, I think my parents have grown accustomed to who I've become. And I think my wife as, you know, as well. I mean, she didn't sign up for any of this. So they've just kind of, um, you know, watched my development, maybe in awe, but maybe just thinking, oh, there goes dad again. He's going to do something crazy. I mean, one of the things that 
I mean, you do talk about how difficult some of the races are, but for me, like I've only ever done one ultra. And I did the ultra around uh, Jersey. It's um, a Channel Island just off the coast of the UK. And it was 48 miles. And it was my first one. I hadn't really done much training. And I can't tell you how, like, my joints just felt like they had separated from my body. I was in so much pain. I've got a bunion completely in my foot two years later from it, which has not gone down because my trainers are rubbing so much. Um... Do you ever go through that kind of pain or is your pain, you know, different to what I'd call myself as a regular ultra runner? Um, does it still hurt this many years on the pain itself of putting your body through a hundred mile, 135 mile, 350 mile? Does it still exist for you? That's a, that's an interesting question. And I think it, it's hard for me to know whether I experience um, less pain than someone else. You know, I mean, I've run side by side with people for, you know, the distance you just said and, and further. I mean, I've run, you know, side by side with people and they, you know, will start saying, oh, my God, I'm in so much pain. Oh, this hurts so bad. And maybe I'm in as much pain. I just have learned to, you know, become uh, comfortable with discomfort. It's I don't know, but I seem to experience less pain. And whether that's psychological or physiological, I, I, I don't know. It does hurt me. I mean, does it hurt? Yeah, sure, it hurts. And, um, you know, I had a coach that said, if, if it doesn't hurt, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> it's supposed to hurt like hell. I mean, running is supposed to hurt. It's supposed to be painful. Uh, but whether I've, you know, experienced the same amount of pain that you experience, you know, I, I'll tell you one thing. I've never had a bunion like you just <laughs> described. I can't imagine what that, what that feels like. I mean, people say, uh, you're in so much pain, you know, and I've never had an injury. Yeah, that so I, baffles I can't, me. You know, I can't relate to that. What's your secret, Dean? I don't think there's one secret. I think it's 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 the full package. I think that I look at myself through the lens of trying to be the best animal that I can be, and and that means you know training like everyone does. It means a lot of cross training. So I cross train a lot. It means the you know good diet. It means good quality of sleep. And I think the other thing that's so important is good interpersonal relationships. I think a lot of athletes overlook that. I, I, I think that, you know, if you, if you have, uh, harmonious interpersonal relationships with your friends and family, your performance is better. And, and just the opposite holds true as well. If you have a lot of, you know, angst and, and, um, a lot of hostility in your life, I think that negatively impacts your, your performance. So I've tried to optimize all those things I just mentioned. And I think that's, you know, that's my secret. It's it's not just one thing. I agree. I think it is quite an all-round type of thing. But I guess we've discovered there that you're comfortable with pain and you don't suffer with injuries. But I do know that you do suffer with sleep deprivation. And Rachel actually recently had a friend who ran for 24 hours around his courtyard and fell asleep at 2 a.m. and ran into a wall. But surely you can trump that story. <laughs> a 14-foot courtyard, man. I only wish I, I only wish that had been captured on video because just the way you describe that. Oh, oh. I, but I can relate in that you know I've I've woken up, um, thankfully not smashed against the wall, but uh, you know running down the middle of the road. So it's happened to me. I you know I've, I've come to my senses and realized oh I'm I'm shouldn't be running in the middle of the road at you know in the middle of the night I'm going to get hit by a car. So I, you know, would meander back over to the side of the road and then it would happen again. I'd wake up kind of running down the middle of the road 
and realized that I was sleep running. You know, I, I just was willing my body to keep going. And again, thankfully, there wasn't a wall in front of me. Yeah, I know. I'm, he didn't. He didn't uh, get injured. He actually finished twenty four hours, and he did one hundred and six miles. So he was pretty impressed um, with that. So good on him. And he was raising money for charity in isolation. We obviously weren't allowed to leave our houses, so hence the courtyard and the wall fiasco, which happened there. Um, <laughs> Dean, something else I can't like not speak to you about is. I'm going to, another famous Deanism I'm going to say is about you eating on your runs. So um, one which really stands out for us and which we laugh about is when you were running in Australia, the summit to Sydney, I think it was, and you were running with a plate of food, a literal plate. You had plate on your, food on your plate, sorry, with a napkin tucked down your running shorts and you were eating with a fork. I mean, I'm not even lying. Amana and myself have tried this in our gardens. We'll send you a picture. You're insane. How is it possible to run? Well, <laughs> like, we can do it. <laughs> like, we can't do it. I'm going to send you a picture because it's comical. <laughs> but obviously people gave you a few suspect looks. I think it was Asian food, I believe, you were, you were um, eating. But why did you think that was a good idea? Was it a good idea? Did it work? Well, I mean, I have to, I have to put it all in context. You, you know, your listeners are probably thinking, what is this I know. guy up to? But I, I just thought it was the funniest thing because I flew to Australia to to run this, um, you know, this 600 kilometer, 360 mile run from the highest point in Australia to Sydney. So it was it was six days of running. I would be running um, 100 kilometers or 62 miles a day over six days. And I, you know, I'd never met these guys before and they had rented this motor home and <laughs> they had staffed it with an executive chef. And so this poor chef is, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a ultra runner. You, you know what runners are like. I mean, I'm expect, you know, I'm expecting gel packs handed out the window. This poor guy bought all this gourmet food. He had, I, I don't know what he was supposed to do with his time, but I just started feeling guilty. Like, you know, I, I can't just eat, keep eating, you know, peanut butter sandwiches handed out the window. Um, I got to put the chef to work. So <laughs> he started cooking food. He, he started taking requests for gourmet food. And the other thing that was I thought was hilarious is uh, all they had was they had fine china and really nice silverware. So that's all they had to you know for me to eat off of was was china. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's how I ended up running down the side of the road with um, you know some really um, gourmet Asian food on a china plate uh, with a napkin tucked inside my running my running gear. It sounds like an amazing meal, but I just could not have eaten it off that plate whilst moving. I would definitely be sat down at the table. <laughs> I bet you, well, I mean, you know, when you have to run 62 miles a day for six days, you don't want to do anything sitting down at a table because it's, it's all about <laughs> relentless forward progress. You just have to, whatever you're doing, you have to keep going forward because as soon as you sit, you know, there's a saying, beware of the chair. It, it's really hard to get back up. Yeah, that's true. And I found the same with marathons. When you start slowing down, it is really hard then to start moving again. And uh, I guess talking about marathons, a lot of our listeners, as we mentioned to you, are marathon runners and road runners. So we wanted to ask you, when you say running a marathon changes who you are, what's the most life-changing moment or experience that you've had in a marathon? I'm sure you've got loads from the 50-50 event as well. Oh, I mean, I, yeah, it's, you know, it, I, I could tell you so many incredible stories, but, um, yeah, I mean, I've, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've seen lots of animals, you know, there was a, a 
a marathon that I ran in Alaska during the 50 marathons. And it was out in the wilderness in Alaska. And we came around a corner um, in the trail and there was a severed off moose leg uh, in the trail, you know, bloody moose leg that, uh, you know, it was moist as though something had been chewing on it. And I said to the guy next to me, what did that? And he's like, oh, look over there. And we looked down the hill across the way and there was a, a bear eating a moose. <laughs> wow. So talk about um, increasing, increasing your pace at that point. Yeah. I'm not sure though in London Marathon, like most of our listeners have done, we're, we're not going to see a bear. We might see a <laughs> fox or a, someone dressed as a bear, but you know, that's as far as we go there. Um, but no, you, you kind of life changing in terms of, I guess, as well, like, do you think, I always think everyone can run a marathon. Would you agree with that statement? Not only do I think everyone can, I think everyone should. I think that it is, the world would be a fundamentally different place if everyone did run a marathon. I think the world would be, people are, you, you know, it's a great humbleizer, right? A marathon, and it, it teaches you so much about yourself. Um, you know, they say that, you know, running a marathon uh, builds character, but it also reveals character. And I think that's something, an exercise that a lot of people could use to learn more about themselves. And just appreciate their ability to get through things they thought they could never get through. So I really think marathon running should be like mandatory for, you know, becoming a, a true adult. I like that. I, I feel like that's a bit of a quote there that marathon running should be mandatory for adulting. I definitely found that myself. But uh, I guess you do all these crazy adventures and a lot of them aren't just races. And you come up with these yourself. But is there one that you think is a little too silly and is still just a bit of a pipe dream on your computer or on a notepad somewhere? Well, you know, I've, I've been scheming to run a marathon in every country of the world in a one-year time span. So, I, you know, as you know, I did 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 consecutive days, but I wanted to do 198 marathons in one year. So that was kind of what I was, I was working on as my next kind of big goal. Uh, that said, you know, um, getting the passports and permits to enter all these countries is, is not easy. And, uh, you know, I was working with the UN and the US State Department to, to come up with a plan. But, you know, and it was looking really good. But obviously, with what's going on now with the, the global pandemic, it's looking really bad. <laughs> so... Yeah. I'm going to have to come up with another adventure that's, that's kind of based at home. That's, that's responsible. I mean, right now, it's, it's not the time for me to set out on these, on these big, bold adventures. Right now is the time for me to demonstrate that, uh, you know, I, I can adhere to the guidelines just like everyone else has to, um, to protect others. For sure. I know, you know, you've done a lot of challenges as well and treadmills. Uh, you don't particularly like them, but you've been asked to do them for different things, world records, etc. But, coronavirus how has it affected your ability to train obviously you just said that you're really mindful of um abiding obviously by the government guidelines have you been able to get on a treadmill cross train what's it been like in san francisco yeah well i mean where i live i have great access to the outdoors so for me it's it's been um you know it's it hasn't changed a whole lot i you know i have to be honest i mean even though i'm a very disciplined guy it's almost it's almost a bit harder for me to run now that I can run now. Um, you know, before you know, life was moving at a certain pace where 
you know, running was something you really look forward to because you couldn't run at points. But now pretty much, you know, I can run at any time. And, you know, the other thing is that just like everyone else, I, I tend to push the pace. And I tend to watch my, you know, watch um, my watch as I'm running when I'm wearing a watch. And you, sometimes you question that. I think every, anyone would, um, especially if you're training for a marathon. You know, your, your, your marathon's not going to happen this year, <laughs> most likely. And, uh, you know, can you keep up that same level of motivation to run hard and fast uh, if you don't have a goal in front of you? So some people are very goal driven. And I think that for them, this is this is a difficult period because there's so much uncertainty. We don't know when racing is going to come back online. And when it does, it's certainly going to be different. I can't see big mass starts. I mean, you spoke of the London Marathon. Um, I can't imagine that happening until there's there's a vaccine because. You, you know what it's like running a marathon. I mean, there's, there's hundreds of thousands of people in very mm. close, close quarters. So, um, for me, it's, it's been more about, uh, you know, keeping up my, my motivation just to go see new places and, and do it within guidelines that, um, are, you know, the same that everyone else has to adhere to. Um, you know, the one thing that has been to me pretty endearing, at least here in California, is that there are a lot, lot more people outside these days. A lot more people training and, and walking both on the trails and on the streets. And to me, that's a really great thing. You know, although racing and the whole running industry has suffered, um, running has actually experienced a big resurgence since the lockdown. More and more people are running nowadays than ever before um, because it's kind of a, a, an easy go-to and affordable and approachable thing to do. Yeah, for sure. We found that over here in the UK. Like everyone is absolutely loving going out and having a run and everyone's doing the 5K over here. We have the park run and everyone's super into beating their 5K times. But I guess right now, Dean, is the perfect time for anybody to get motivated and to read your books because like we've just found them incredible. So I don't want to take any, of your, any more of your time up, Dean. You have been fantastic. You're fascinating as always. We love your stories. Um, you've inspired us. I can't tell you how much we're inspired by who you are, what you're about. So we just thank you so much for your time and can't wait to see what you get up to in the future and continue inspiring others because I can tell you it does make a difference. Well, I certainly appreciate that. And I, I also appreciate what you guys are doing. So keep spreading the good word. You're a, a wonderful voice in the community, and I wish you strength and endurance, and I really look forward to that time. Oh, thank you so much, Dean, and thank you for your time. We really appreciate it. Well, cheers. Cheers to all you listeners. Keep running. Dean Carnassus, the man, the myth, and the ultra-marathon running legend and what a legend he is he is really such an inspiration in the running world whether you're doing your first marathon you're a seasoned ultra marathon runner he is just full of inspiration and i mean in the 45 minute podcast we can only touch the surface with dean he's got so many years of running experience so many stories so many adventures that he's been on I wish we could talk about them all, but there's just not enough time. But if you do want to hear more about Dean, I cannot recommend his books enough. I'm currently reading Ultra Marathon Man, The Confessions of an All-Night Runner. And I know Rachel's read a couple as well. Yeah, I read 50-50, which is amazing. 
And that's the book I actually first read and first discovered Dean by reading. And then the second one was Run, 26.2 Stories of Blisters and Bliss. But I guess what struck me, which I it wasn't unexpected either, was the fact that Dean is so normal and relatable. He said he was stood in a tiny corner in his house for 45 minutes, which you chatted to him for, because that was the only place he could get signal. So he said it was crammed. He's like, if you could look at me now, you'd laugh. I said, send us a picture. I'm not sure if he will, but you know, that is Dean to a T. And I think something that, you know, we couldn't actually touch on was the fact that Dean didn't start his running journey until he was 30 years old. You know, he decided at 30, he was too comfortable uh, in his current life, in his situation, he wanted to change. So testament to him that, you know, 30 isn't too old. You might be thinking you have a midlife crisis at 30. You're not. You can still achieve whatever you want at whatever age you are, as long as you believe and you put your mind to it. I think Dean says you, you can achieve it. Yeah, Dean is really a true inspiration to both of us and to many other people and many of our listeners, I'm sure. But that is all that we have time for this week. So thank you, Dean, for being part of the Keep Running podcast series and sharing your story. And if you want to follow Dean, he's at Ultramarathon on Instagram and I'm at Amana underscore Rye. And I'm at Rachel double underscore Stringer. And we hope Dean inspired you and we hope our guests continue to inspire you. So until next time, keep running. 